First Corinthians chapter eight, go ahead and get your Bible open. We're gonna walk through the chapter. I've got a PowerPoint presentation for you today because we're gonna go through some other cross references. I wanted to make it easy. But there's an issue that I know all of you have really been struggling with, and so we're going to talk about that today. The issue is called meat offered to idols. How many of you are struggling with meat offered to idols? Anybody out there? One. I've got one hand back there, and they're telling a lie, or they're from overseas, one of the two, right? (laughs) Nobody is struggling with meat offered to idols. So you're sitting there saying, why in the world are we going to use a chapel to talk about meat offered to idols? What I want you to do is lock in on this sermon. Lock in and realize that this is not about just meat offered to idols, but this is about the gray areas of life. So perhaps some of you may be struggling with whether you should be a vegetarian or not. Any vegetarians in the room? It's okay. There's nothing wrong with vegetarians. I personally love vegetarians. Supply and demand. That means there's more meat for me, right? (laughs) Just kidding. Don't get mad. See, I told you I'll make everybody mad today. Just wait. It's nice coming. There's nothing wrong with being a vegetarian. How many of you are not vegetarians? There's nothing wrong with not being a vegetarian, all right? But it's a gray area. Where the problem comes is when we try to implement our conviction or our conscience on other people. What about, anybody in here keep the Sabbath? We got a couple, yeah. Do you know that you get Monday off after Thanksgiving break because Cedarville once had a rule that you couldn't travel on Sunday and we didn't want you to travel on Sunday to come back to school? So you get the Monday after Thanksgiving off. You realize that's why you get that Monday off? See, now all of you like keeping the Sabbath right now, right? Because you want the Monday off. Yeah, we may do away with that at some point in time in the future. I'm just telling you why it's there. What about shopping on Sunday? Y'all didn't want to do away with that Monday, did you? Y'all all are Sabbatarians now. The Sabbath's on Saturday, by the way. It's not Sunday, but we'll talk about that some other time. How many of you don't shop on Sunday? Oh, see, now we just lost all our Sabbatarians. All right. Can we dance? How many of you like to dance? How many of you do not like to dance, either because you can't or because you're against it? All right, I'll raise two hands on that one. Is it okay to watch the UFC? Now, this is a real one. How many of you think because the Bible says you should not love violence, you should not watch the UFC? You're out there, come on. Nobody in this room? I've got one in the back. I've got one honest person. My wife's that way, it's okay. I don't watch the UFC with my wife. I watch it when she's not around. And so (laughs) that's our agreement. We'll talk about that some today too. Do you have to be a Republican or a Democrat? See, I told you, I'm just going to make everybody mad. Where are my diplomats in the room? Can I use profanity? After all, it's only words. How short of a dress is too short? And shouldn't those guys keep their eyes to themselves so that it doesn't matter anyway? All the ladies said. (laughs) Can women wear makeup? I'm going to stop right there before I get in any more trouble yet, all right? We'll get in trouble later. What about tattoos? Chewing tobacco. So we're in favor of tattoos, but not chewing tobacco, huh? I guess it's... How many of you are in favor of chewing tobacco? I've got one honest guy out there that says, I don't care. I'll do it anyway, even though it's a violation of the probation laws here at Cedarville. (laughs) 
smoking outside the student center. I saw that on Overheard at Cedarville the other day. I don't know which one of you were smoking outside the students. What about R-rated movies? All right, now some of you are way too quick to say yeah to that. There's some PG-13 movies you probably shouldn't see. But we're not going to have a rule against them. Listening to secular music. That's pretty weak. I really expected more. Anybody like country music in the house? Whoa, where do the booze come from? Should you have to preach in a suit all the time? What about KJV only churches? Now, why do I mention that whole list? All of the things on that list, and there are more, there are a couple of landmines I left off that list on purpose, are issues that have been discussed as gray areas or disagreed over the last hundred years. Different things on this list people have argued about, and they've said, you can do them, you can't do them. This is a Christian liberty. I should be able to do this. No, this is a biblical law. I shouldn't be able to do this. And as I mentioned some of these, some of you probably immediately thought, you cannot do that, or absolutely you can do that. And you immediately went to an opinion, and that's where we were in 1 Corinthians with meat offered to idols. Not that big a deal for us today. But if you're in a missionary context, it may actually come back as well because you're engaged in a meat that's been offered to idols. And then after they offered that meat to the idols, what was left over was either used by the priest, taken back out and sold, or taken home by the person who had offered it to an idol. Those who were of weaker conscience then, when they would eat that meat offered to an idol, would feel as though they were participating in idol sacrifices. And as they did that, it caused them to stumble, it caused them to sin, and that's where we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and let's read through the chapter. And if you would, let's stand in honor of the reading of God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, but he does not yet know as he ought to know, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, As indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former associations with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God, We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. You may be seated. 
Here we start off with a passage of scripture, and at the beginning of this passage in chapter 8, it says, now concerning food offered to idols, and you'll see in a quotation mark there, all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge, in quotation marks, puffs up. So let me remind you where we were last week. We were talking about the questions that were sent to Paul. Paul responded to the questions, a Q&A session of sorts. And so the first thing we learn in this particular thing is he's answering some questions, and what he says to them is he says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, what you can't miss here is you can't miss this. It says in chapter eight, verse one and verse two, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Immediately, we wanna say, okay, well then I don't need to worry so much about knowledge, I need to worry about love. But then if you'll make sure you take note in verse four, he begins going through all of this knowledge. And so what Paul is not saying is he's not saying we have to have love without knowledge. He's not saying we just love everybody and let anything happen and anything go because if we're not willing to tell our brother that this is a problem or that this is a violation of scripture or that this is wrong, then that type love does them no good. And so here what he's saying is knowledge without love puffs up, but that love builds up. And so we have to have knowledge combined or balanced with love to build others up so that we're building them up rather than being a stumbling block. He says here in the quotes, all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up. What's happening in Corinth is you've got some people and those people think they're really intelligent. They've got all the knowledge and they've got their act together and they're taking that knowledge and then they're trying to use their knowledge and force it upon other people. Or they're trying to use their knowledge to argue for certain things in their own life. And that knowledge has puffed them up and they've become prideful and they've become arrogant. And at Cedarville, we have to watch the same problem happening. How does it happen? It happens because we have a lot of really smart people here. And really smart people learn more facts and you begin to trust in your own knowledge and in your own mind rather than trusting in God and rather than being concerned about others, you start having those arguments just for the sake of winning the argument. And in having that argument, you end up destroying others rather than building others up. And so what Paul is saying to them is saying, you've got knowledge, but you have to have the love that is combined with that knowledge so that it builds up and so that it does not destroy. Look what he says in verse two. If anyone imagines that he knows something. He does not yet know as he ought to know. You know what I've learned over the years is that the more I learn, the more I realize how little I actually know. The more knowledge I gain, the broader my circle of knowledge becomes, the broader I realize is the actual circle of knowledge that exists out there in the world and that I may or may not ever be able to attain all of it. And so here he's saying, Love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not. Verse three, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And so we must make sure that we balance our knowledge and we balance it with love. Verse four, he starts going to, moving to the actual knowledge where it says, therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know in quotation marks again, an idol has no real existence. So what are the arguments that are being presented? Everybody has knowledge. We all possess this knowledge. We know, in other words, the Bible doesn't forbid it. And then it moves here to an idol has no real existence. Here's what's going on. The meat that's offered to idols is cheap. It's a lot cheaper than other meat. And so they're going to Walmart to get a sale, right? 
And when they go to Walmart to get the sale, it's for that meat that's offered to idols. And they're saying, it's okay. It's all right. Because everybody knows this is not a big deal. The Bible doesn't forbid it. The Bible doesn't condemn it. We can do it. And then these idols don't really exist. They're just blocks of, of wood or, or stone or something of that nature. They're not real. And because they're not real, then this doesn't mean anything if this meat's offered to those idols. I can eat it anyway. It's no big deal. And then they turn and they begin offering other arguments. There is no God, but one God in quotation marks again. Because there's only the one God, then we don't have to worry about what's offered to all these other gods. It's immaterial. And food doesn't hurt us with God or help us with God. So we can eat anything we want, right? And then Paul comes back in response to them. Paul says to them, not all possess this knowledge. Verse seven, not all possess the knowledge. And he says to them, you know, you may think that food doesn't hurt or commend us with God, which is true, but it does hurt others and become a stumbling block to them. And hurting others or being a stumbling block is a sin to Christ. Now let's back up and look at this in a little more detail because I don't want to skip over one part here. In verse six, he says, yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. God the Father as our source and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Jesus the sustainer, God the Father, the source, Jesus the sustainer of all things. And so as we live life, we live our life for God the Father and for Jesus who is the sustainer and the source. You'll also notice here that it says, food doesn't commend us to God, And food doesn't hurt us with God. So if you're a vegetarian in the room, it doesn't make you holier than anybody else. If you eat meat in the room, it doesn't make you holier than anybody else. If you eat whole foods that have no additives, it might make you healthier, but it doesn't make you holier than anybody else. And so we are not justified by carrots. We're not justified by steak We're not justified by broccoli, and I'm certainly thankful for that. We're not justified by hot wings, although that might be fun sometime. We are justified by what? Jesus Christ on the cross by grace through faith and what he's accomplished for us. And so we have to make sure that we recognize this. Let's look at what else he says here. He says in verse seven, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former associations with idols eat food as though it's really offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. Verse eight, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do eat, no better off if we, no worse off if we do not eat, no better off if we do. Verse nine, but take care that this right of yours does not become a stumbling block for the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating, now that word knowledge is in there five times in this particular passage, and then you have the word no. So all throughout, this is about your knowledge. If anybody sees you using this right or this liberty or this knowledge eating, what happens? Does it cause them to stumble? It does. What it says here is it causes them to see that. And then with their weak conscience, they say, well, if he can do it, then I can do it. And so doing it in front of this person actually leads them into a sin. It hurts them. This is like going before an alcoholic and having a drink. It's like going before a drug addict and taking drugs and putting it right in front of them. It's like going before somebody who gluttons a lot with a box of Twinkies and saying, here you go, have at it. It's like putting the temptation right in front of them and saying to them, here it is, do it right in their face. And what this text is saying is it's saying, that's not brotherly love. 
when we do stuff like that, we're thinking only about ourselves and we're being selfish and we're being self-centered and we're not thinking about others and how we can take and further the gospel and help our other brother or sister in Christ. It says here in verse 11, and so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. I'll come back to this. Verse 12, Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. The word there in the Greek is scandalon. I will never become a scandal, a scandal before my brother. Think about what this means. Let's, let's just look at it. Chapter 9, which follows this, right afterwards, Paul moves to continue his argument. We're not going to go through chapter 9, so don't don't worry. We're going to get through this quickly. Chapter 9, Paul gives an example. Verse 1, he says, am I not free? Do I not have rights? What rights does he have? He has the right to eat, the right to drink, the right to marry, the right to work. Verse 9, 12, you'll see there, he says, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. And he says it again later on in verse 15 when he says, but I have made no use of any of my rights. And then he continues on and look at 1 Corinthians 9, 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I become as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing." And so when we start asking questions and we start saying things about, I have a right to do this. This is my liberty. I demand this right. Immediately, we should recognize that and realize our motivation is slightly off. Paul here gives his own example and he's following up and he's saying his motivation is not his right or his liberty. His motivation is the gospel. His motivation is what is gonna help my fellow brother in Christ? What's gonna further the gospel? And then he goes to 1 Corinthians 10. And after he gives us some examples of idolatry, he ends with this passage passage of scripture where he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. That's a good passage for us to remember too. Is it lawful for me to take a knife out and cut my thumb off? Stab my hand? It's not in scripture where it says, don't cut your thumb off with a pocket knife, is it? But would that be helpful for me? Probably not. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market. And you see how this relates right back now to our chapter eight as it comes in here. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. He's saying it's not wrong to eat the meat that is sold in the market that's been offered to idols. It's not gonna do you any harm. And so there's no rule against it. Eat it. But then in verse 26, he says, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is before you without raising any question on the grounds of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you, for the sake of conscience, 
I do not mean your conscience, but his. And so what he's saying here is if somebody puts it before you and they go, oh, this meat's been offered to the idols, what they're saying to you is they suspect you shouldn't eat of it because you're a believer and they believe this has something that's syncretisms involved here and you're compromising your faith. And Paul's saying, if they tell you that, don't eat it for the sake of their conscience. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience, you ask? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I not denounced because of that for which I give thanks? And so he's making the point here, it's okay to eat meat that you buy in the market. It's not okay to eat meat when it causes your brother to stumble if it's been offered to an idol. And so some things that we would say are okay, like for me, I have no problem with my conscience if I watch a UFC fight. If I watch it with my wife, she doesn't like it. So I don't watch it with my wife. I watch it alone. Or I'll invite some of you guys over and you come watch it at the house. We'll watch it together. But I'm not going to watch it with my wife. And so there are certain things that may be allowable that may not be allowable in other situations. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Again, our motivation here being the gospel. Let's look at a couple of cross-references. This is one of the things that fascinates me is Paul never mentions Acts 15 and the Jerusalem council here. I'm just gonna scroll through it briefly. It says, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. He could have quoted this passage and he could have said, case closed. In Acts 15, it said that you shouldn't do this. The Jerusalem council decided this is completely done. But what he's saying here, is there are some gray areas of life, some gray areas where we don't have a clear prohibition. Now, I'm not talking about the clear prohibitions. We're not talking about do not murder. We're not talking about adultery. We're not talking about fornication. We're not talking about idolatry. We're talking about the gray areas, and he doesn't quote this passage. In this passage, perhaps the reason they gave that is because there were so many Jews in the area, it would have hurt the gospel. So for the furtherance of the gospel, he says... Don't do it. For the furtherance of the gospel or for your brothers in Christ, in Corinthians, he says, don't be a stumbling block. If I'm gonna be a stumbling block, I won't eat. But if I can buy it in the market, he says in 1 Corinthians 10, and it doesn't cause anybody to stumble, then I shouldn't let their conscience rule over my conscience. Look at what he says in Romans chapter 14. This whole chapter deals with this issue and I can't go through it all, but we'll look at a couple of verses. In verse one, it says, as for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. By the way, if you're a vegetarian in the room, you're probably healthier than all of us. You'll probably live longer than all of us. So don't go out of the room and give the vegetarians any hard time. And don't email me and tell me I shouldn't eat meat. I I know you're probably healthier than I am, but I live after the flood. And I'm really glad I live after the flood. So I like eating my meat. And so anybody with me, you like eating your meat? Okay. I apologize if I made you mad, whatever. All right, verse five. One person esteems one day as better than another. Oh, there's your Sabbath. While another esteems all days alike, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. It's good for you not to work all the time. It's good for you to take a day. But how do you take that day? 
Can you not travel on that day? Can you not go fishing on that day? Should you not watch football on that day? How should you take it? There are differences. There are gray areas in life. And here he's given you examples of how to deal with those. We'll read through this and then I'll draw this thing to a conclusion. We'll wrap it up. Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone who makes another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because it is eating not from faith for what does not proceed from faith is sin. So we're back to our list here. Let's look at our list. Should you eat or should you be a vegetarian? We talked about that enough. Whether to keep the Sabbath, Romans 14 talked about that. Can you shop on Sunday? For some of you, you may not want to go spend money on Sunday because it forces somebody else to work their job on Sunday. If that's your conviction and your conscience tells you not to do that, don't do that. Can we dance? I sure hope so. We've got a junior, senior, or some formal or something coming up here in the next little bit, right? Am I going to dance at it? Probably not. But I'll, I'll, I'll go, be there. Watch some of you guys that shouldn't be dancing out there either. and I'll get a good laugh out of it. Is it okay to watch UFC? We've already talked about that. Now, some people really have a problem with that. They say, the Bible says don't love violence. It's true. We should not love violence. And so if it causes you to love violence, you shouldn't watch it. If it doesn't cause you to love violence, which with me, I studied it since age five. I've been in it all my life. It's just like watching a wrestling match or a chess match. It's a chess match with blood, I guess is what you would call it for me. And so... And I don't like the really, really bloody ones, but it's okay for me to watch that because I don't have my conscience convicted by it. And so here, do I have to be a Republican or a Democrat to be a Christian? What's the answer to that? The Republicans aren't Christians and the Democrats aren't Christians and both of them have problems. And so here, we don't have to be a Republican or a Democrat. We need to be a Biblicist. We need to stand for what the Bible says and not align ourselves with just one particular party. Now, there are certain things of certain parties that you have to say, I don't like that. And there are certain biblical principles that we can't compromise on. And so when we look at certain things like how we define marriage, we can't compromise on that position. And when we look on certain things like when life begins, we can't compromise on that position. But that doesn't mean that we have to be one or the other. And it doesn't mean that we have to look at somebody that is one or the other and immediately write them completely off. We deal with our brother in love, but we stand firm on what the Bible says. Can we agree to that? There's about a third of us that can agree to that. The rest of us are still unsure. All right. See, I told you I'm going to make everybody mad today. So I just apologize at the end and y'all won't have to send me a bunch of emails, okay? Can I use profanity for effect? Some people consider this a gray matter. For me, this one's not a gray area. 
I think when you look at James 3, 9, and 10, for out of one mouth becomes blessings and cursings, it should not be so. When you look at Colossians 4, 6, where it says that your speech should be honoring to the Lord, I don't think this is a gray area. Some people do. I'm not one of those. I know that in past it's been taught here in one of the classes that this was a gray area. It was okay for you to use profanity and cuss. That's the reason I added it to the list because I don't think that's the case. I think this one's not a gray area issue. And I don't think you should be using profanity out of your mouth for effect or for any other reason. You can disagree with me on that. Send me an email if you want to. Uh, How short of a dress is too short? We're not going to have rules here at Cedarville that say a dress has to come two inches above the lower lumbar knee. We're not going to do any of that. All right. That's, that's ridiculous. Some of you are trying to figure out exactly what I just said. So am I. <laughs> it's what happens when you don't have notes. It's a lot more fun. How short of a dress is too short? Uh, ladies, this is, this is a horrible time for you to have to try to buy clothes because I have a daughter and so I know what's out there. And there's not very much out there that has the word modest attached to it. And all of the guys watch TV and on TV and in all of the ads and everything else, they take these models that are already beautiful and they airbrush them and they make them look even skinnier and more perfect. And it creates a sexual culture that we live in that creates a problem. And so you have to let your conscience and your friends around you help you judge so that you're not wearing things that cause other people to stumble. Should all guys just keep their eyes to themselves and not deal with the issue? Yeah, I wish we could. I wish all guys didn't have to worry about stumbling in this regard. But that's not the fallen world in which we live. And so on behalf of all the guys in the room, ladies, help us out. Ladies, help us out. All right? Now, I'm not saying you got to wear a skirt down to your ankles or be prudish. We're not doing rules like that either, okay? All right, what about makeup? Well, I don't know anybody here that would say a lady couldn't wear makeup. Anybody? I don't think we have anybody. But in this century, that's been an issue. What about tattoos? You would have, every guy in the room knows the verse in Leviticus, right? Who knows the verse in Leviticus? You can't have a tattoo. Every guy that has a tattoo knows the verse. But that's an Old Testament verse. We understand that. We can't say that forbidding tattoos is something clearly in scripture. And so if you're in the room with tattoos, relax. I'm not gonna jump all over that. Chewing tobacco. Don't chew tobacco around me if you chew tobacco. Why not? Because in seventh grade, I started chewing tobacco. Kodiak was my brand. It's the only bear you'll ever pinch. I can take and pack a can of dip and drive a straight drive truck and put one in all at the same time. And I can still smell it when I walk down the street because I was addicted to it until I got saved. And the day I got saved is the day I gave it up and I haven't touched the stuff since. But if you have it around me, which is illegal to have it around me here, but if you're out somewhere else and you have it around me and I smell it, my mouth will immediately start watering to this day because that's a struggle. I can't be around this stuff. Smoking, well, that stuff just repulses me, so that's not an issue at all for me. (laughs) Even the smokeless ones, I'm just like, why do you want to do that to yourself? Anyway, and especially outside the student center, that's not allowed, all right? Can I watch R-rated movies or listen to secular music? Again, this is a debated issue. If your conscience is such that you came out of a background and you came out of a lost environment where the music was really, really harsh and causes you to stumble and you listen to it and it causes you to stumble, don't listen to it. Let me give you some principles and then I gotta shut this thing down. It's time to go. What should I preach in a suit? I gotta mention this. I wear a suit to preach up here, not because I like wearing a tie, but because I also have other meetings and everything to go on at the institution 
all the time. When you see me in the cafeteria at night, I'm in blue jeans and a t-shirt, and that's where I'm comfortable. I go to some churches, they say, wear a suit, please. I wear a suit. I go to other churches, they say, don't wear a suit, please. I don't wear a suit. And so it's like Paul. We do whatever we can to get our message of the gospel across. KJV only. If I go to a KJV only church, I'll preach in the New King James Version of the Bible because they've invited me to come preach, and I'll ask them if that's okay. Usually it is, and so that's what I use. I don't go in and make a deal about it. Here's some guidelines. I'm just going to read these real quick, and we're going to be done. It is selfish and self-centered to use our rights or liberties to work against the purpose for which Christ died. That should be convicting to all of us. Christ died to deliver men from sin. Christians should never use liberty or rights to lead others into sin. Christ humbled himself and became man for us. When we humble ourselves and voluntarily give up rights for the gospel, we mirror Christ in a small way. So what do we do? It's all about joy. We put Jesus before liberty Jesus is our motivation. We put others before our own rights. We're not going to be a scandal to others. In yourself, you have knowledge with love, not just knowledge that puffs up. You're under authority. So your parents, your school, your workplace, or the law. You can't say, well, it's not against my conscience to smoke marijuana and snort cocaine. It's against the law. It's illegal. It's wrong. You can't do that, all right? That doesn't work. Gospel-driven life. Our ultimate goal in gospel is a gospel-centered life, not dominated by legalism nor liberty, but by the love of God for others. All right, general guidelines, and I don't have time to go through these, so I may post them on the blog or do something later. But if the Bible forbids it, you can't do it. If the Bible doesn't forbid it, it may be permissible but not wise. What does your conscience say? If your conscience con- condemns it, you can't do it. If your conscience doesn't condemn it, then you can move to the next question. What is best for others in the gospel? You love others as yourself, sometimes that means you're not going to do something you can do because it'll cause them to stumble. And in each situation, we must ask what furthers the gospel. Now, let me get this out, and then I'm done. At Cedarville, a lot of people are concerned that we've gone back to theologically a little more conservative. We're going to go back into the 1950s and start having rules or start making everybody wear ties or everybody wears dresses. And so let me just say this at the conclusion of this sermon about Cedarville University. All right. As long as I'm here, we are going to be theologically conservative. That means we're going to believe in an inerrant Bible. We're going to believe in an exclusive gospel. We're going to believe in a literal heaven or hell. And we're going to take the gospel to as many people as we possibly can all across the world. That's where we're going to be. If that's not where you are, don't send me an email to educate me more accurately in the ways of the Lord. All right. We're going to be conservative. At Cedarville, we are not going to be legalists. I have absolute no intention of going back to a list of rules that you have to keep up with because a list of rules never saved anybody. That's legalism and it's Pharisaism. And here we're not going to have a whole list of rules that you have to have. It doesn't mean you're going to get away with everything either. It's not going to be total liberty where you can go do anything in the world you want, but we're not going back into legalism. I like where our rules are. And I made you the promise at the very beginning, I'm not going to change your student rules and I'm not going to do that. We'll look at some of the summer that you've asked us to look at, but we're not changing any of those rules until the summer. Is that okay with everybody? Are you good? Now in the summer, when we look at them, we're not going to legalism. Don't worry about coming back and having to wear skirts to class. I mean, it's negative 20 degrees outside. That's not going to happen. Okay. At Cedarville, here's what I want us to be about. We will do whatever we can to further the gospel and the kingdom of God with the love of Christ. That's it. Everything we do to further the gospel and the kingdom of God with the love of Christ. That's what I want us to do. All right, if I made you mad today trying to have a good time, I apologize. Don't email me. Let me pray and we'll get out of here. 
Dear Lord, we do thank you that we can come and have a good time looking at what your word says. Father, I do thank you and pray that you would just help us to remember that we should consider your motives in saving others before our own, that we should consider others before ourselves, and that, Father, we should be wise in all things that we do and do them with grace. Thank you for our student body. I thank you for the opportunity to be at Cedarville and what a great place it is. But I pray it would always stand not for our glory, but for yours. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.